Hello and thank you for tuning in to the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Now, please welcome, all the way from the front living room, your hosts, Shelley and Bella. Hey everybody and welcome to the Weird, Wacky, Wonderful Stories podcast. Hi everybody. And today we're going to do something a little bit more, hopefully upbeat, okay? We've been watching the news recently, just like all of you have, and there's nothing in there at the moment but sorrow and people getting hurt and people wanting to fight with other people over goodness knows what. So what we've decided to do is we've decided to do you an alternative news theme today, if you like. Rather than fake news, which seems to be in the news all the time, we're going to do alternative news. So things that are a bit weird, a bit wacky, a bit... Wonderful. And maybe a little bit humorous as well, just to make you smile. We could all do with these smiles once in a while, couldn't we? So... We're going to start off with quite an interesting story that Bella's got, which happened during the whole Hurricane Irma thing. Do you want to tell them what happened? Yeah, this is uh, real-life Spider-Man shows up to help in Florida after Hurricane Irma. When Cheryl Hambury stepped outside her home the morning after Hurricane Irma swept through her Bradenton, Florida neighborhood, she expected to see a few of her neighbors out surveying the damage too and cleaning up debris. What she did not expect to see was an actual superhero at work. But that's exactly what she spotted when a man in a red and blue outfit using a chainsaw to cut a tree that had fallen across her road caught her attention. I thought, oh my god, Spider-Man. I was shocked. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Hanbury called her family outside to see too, and her husband, Alan, was able to snap two pictures of the mysterious Good Samaritan. Spider-Man worked the tree, then swung off and jumped in his little black pickup with a friend and flew off, said Hanbury. I do not know why he was dressed as Spider-Man, nor do I know the name of or identity of the masked man. Hanbury's own two daughters, Sierra, 22, and Skye, 21, are grown, and most of the neighborhood evacuated before the storm, so unfortunately no children were around to witness the crusader in action. However, Hanbury said he was a welcome surprise and provided a laugh that lifted the spirits of those who endured the scary storm. It was a silver lining after waiting a long week for the hurricane to arrive, she said. People were terrified and exhausted. Thankfully, the hurricane wasn't as bad as it was predicted for Hanbury's area. We still have lots of people without power, and my neighbor's generators are running at the moment. But for the most part, we just have high numbers of trees and power lines down with much debris, but everyone is safe, she said. Now that her photos are going viral, Hanbury hopes Spider-Man knows he is cheering the spirits of people in Bradenton and around the world. To Spider-Man, I would like to say thank you, she said. I'm glad we have real-life heroes. Awesome. So it, all the photos went viral, right? Yep. So Spider-Man's all over the web. Uh-huh. Funny. <laughs> Come on. I, you couldn't do a Spider-Man thing and not talk about the web. Come on. Yeah. But why did he have to drive off in a pickup? Well, I can see now whoever makes that pickup. Does it say what make it was? No, just that it was a just black Just a black one. pickup. Can you imagine if that was like a Ford F-150 or something like that? If I was like the Ford manager, you know, the, the sort of marketing manager, I'd be saying from now on our adverts are going to be done by Spider-Man. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's pretty good. See, there are some reasons to smile at the news today. Yeah, but our thoughts go out to everyone who wasn't safe, but still it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to talk to you about a time traveller. 
Police say a central Wyoming man they arrested for public intoxication claimed he travelled back in time to warn of an alien invasion. Casper police say the man they encountered at 10.30pm on Monday claimed he was from the year 2048. KTWOAM in Casper reports that the man told police that he wanted to warn the people of Casper that aliens will arrive next year and that they should leave as soon as possible. He asked to speak to the president of the town about 170 miles northwest of Cheyenne. The man told police he was only able to travel in time because the aliens filled his body with alcohol. Oh, nice. Yeah, that, that time-travelling drug, alcohol. He noted that he was supposed to be transported to the year 2018 and not actually this year. So he was a little early. I can see the holes in this. Yeah, I, I think Alcoholics Anonymous is not going to be very happy. No, well, as well as that, I can also see other holes in this. So work with me on this. Follow. I'm going to do my Poirot moment without the accent. Mm-hmm. Okay. It'd be so, much better if you did the accent. I can't. I don't even <laughs> don't even go there. So he says that he was coming to warn them of an alien invasion, right? Mm-hmm. So in other words, he was on our side fighting against the aliens because he was warning us. Yeah. Yeah. However, it was apparently the aliens that gave him the alcohol in his body so that he could travel back in time. So, what, they're working with him as well? Well, maybe he was some sort of escaped prisoner. We don't know, do we? But they wouldn't... He could have jumped off the spaceship. They wouldn't dose him with alcohol well, so that he could time travel if, if they were worried about him coming back. And, well, and they, also, they weren't very clever aliens anyway because they've mastered time travel, but they got the fucking year wrong. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. So, I'm sorry, mate. <laughs> A good story, but... He tried, though. I'm calling bullshit on that. That's a good one to come up with on the fly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but then asked to speak to the president of the town as well, so he was going to try and carry it all away, wasn't he? I wonder yeah. what he'd have said next morning when he sobered up, whether he would have stuck with the story. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay, the next one we have is Save My Ink Forever allows families to keep tattooed skin of loved ones after death. Now, I know this isn't necessarily a happy thing, but it's interesting. It's pretty cool, though. Mm. Especially if it was like, kiss my ass or something tattooed somewhere. like On your ass? Yeah. <laughs> What's that? Butt skin from my dead husband. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And it still smells. Yeah, right. Many of us keep mementos of loved ones who have died from letters they wrote to jewelry with sentimental meaning. But given the chance, would you opt to keep a tattoo from someone after they've passed away? A team of funeral directors have launched a business allowing family members to keep the tattooed skin of the deceased and display it as art. Since launching last year, Save My Ink Forever has had hundreds of customers in the U.S. and is now hoping to extend its client base overseas. So we're giving them a little plug, maybe. Yeah, we're after some commission, guys. (laughs) The business is ran by Kyle Sherwood, along with his father, Mike, and another friend who's also a funeral embalmer. The trio came up with the idea after a casual chat with friends in the funeral business about post-death keepsakes. As many in the group have tattoos, the topic came up naturally in conversation. All of our tattoos have deep meaning, meaning enough to put it on ourselves for life to proudly display, Kyle told the Huffington Post. So we thought, well, what happens when you die? Those works of art that mean so much to the individual and family are gone forever. They are either buried or cremated, never to be seen again. 
The men began to think of ways they could allow these works of art to live on, and soon Save My Ink Forever was born. Kyle said he can't share how the team preserves tattooed skin because it's the company's little secret, but he recommends families wishing to use the service should inform their funeral director within 48 hours of the individual's death. The funeral director usually then contacts the business directly to arrange for the removal of the tattooed skin before the funeral takes place. After the removal of the tattoo, we then work on the preservation, Kyle explained. The team can preserve tattoos ranging from simple hearts to ornate full back pieces. Prices vary depending on the size of the piece, but the cost is usually in the region of $1,000 or £795. Is that so, per tattoo? Uh, it says it varies depending on the size. So, right. yeah. Cool. I wonder what reaction you'd get if you went to the local picture framing place with that. <laughs> but it's a good idea. I mean, especially if, you know, if it... Re- I mean, sometimes people get tattoos for, like, no reason or some silly yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, some but silly it, throwaway reason. But if it is something that's really important, you know, we've got our tattoos, that, yeah. that would be pretty cool. I reckon it would be. I think I'm going to get in touch with those people if you go first. Oh, nice. Well, no, I'm just saying, if if you did, I want your skin. I mean, you know, your tattoos. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here's the next one. Police were called to a restaurant in New Jersey at 7.24pm on Friday after reports that a woman was going into labour. Officers in Denville said the parents were on their way to hospital but got stuck in traffic and had to pull over into the venue's car park just off Route 80 which, by the way, was a Burger King. Officers and emergency personnel arrived on the scene and aided the woman to deliver a baby boy. The following night, the same patrol officers went back to the same restaurant after another report of a woman going into labour. Authorities said that the couple were on their way to hospital when the woman started undergoing major contractions as well. Officers helped the couple deliver a son, again, (laughs) in their vehicle, in the car park of the restaurant. Firefighter Shannon Covert told CBS News about the first birth, saying, within a few minutes, the baby was out. We got her into an ambulance and handed the baby boy to her and let her hold him the whole way to the hospital, so she was happy about that. His colleague, Rich Yobbs, talking about the following night, said, we looked at our pages and go, this is a joke, this can't be two nights in a row, the same exact thing. Sure enough, we get down there, and it is. And that one came even quicker. Well, that's pretty interesting. That that sounds like it should have been in the whole coincidence and synchronicity one. But that's what still. I was thinking. Yeah, because it was both on their way to the hospital, both pulled into that particular car yeah. park, both had a boy. Now you know what's going to happen. You're going to have all these people, all these women who are like just ready to just have their baby, yeah, yeah. and they're going to be like, "Let's go to Burger King." Exactly. No. What the hell are they selling with their Whopper? Whopper? <laughs> Okay, while we were doing the research for this, I found another article, but this was about McDonald's. And would you believe that in one of their branches in America, someone was actually dealing drugs, a a member of staff. So he was giving people their burgers and that. With the drugs. With the drugs. And it was crack and Coke and all the rest of it. Wow. Imagine going into there and asking for a, you know, burger and Coke. Yeah. Goodness knows what you'd get. (laughs) But apparently he sold, like, Thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of this. Yeah, Bur- uh, the McDonald's was like, yes, profits are going up. <laughs> well, no, I don't think McDonald's are putting it through the books, if I'm honest. Because of this, yeah, because of this thug. Yeah. 
So here's an interesting one. Man caught with kilo of gold hidden in rectum at Sri Lanka airport. Hidden in his ass? Yeah, can you imagine the sphincter muscle on that guy? Jeez. (laughs) A man has been arrested by Sri Lankan customs authorities after being spotted attempting to smuggle with difficulty, you think, close to a kilo of gold hidden in his rectum. <laughs> it just doesn't bear thinking about it, does it? It takes me back to that thing on one of those other episodes we were talking about. Well, in this occasion, you could actually say ring and mean two things, couldn't you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. The 45 year old India bound passenger was behaving suspiciously in the departure lounge of Colombo Airport, spokesman Sunelli Giranti. A spokesman said. Yes, a spokesman said. <laughs> Somebody said it. So it happened. Yeah, yeah. He was called for a thorough screening. <laughs> <laughs> After customs officers noticed him walking with difficulty and appearing to be in pain. <laughs> he must have been in piles of pain. <laughs> a close examination revealed the man was hiding 904 grams of gold wrapped in black plastic sheets, including seven yellow biscuits and six chains, he said. What? <laughs> gold and biscuits. <laughs> no, I think they mean like biscuits of gold, I think, probably. They can't, can't mean real biscuits. I mean, you just eat them. <laughs> I can give you some biscuits too, but they ain't going to have no gold. going up your ass, yeah. <laughs> Are those really chocolate chips? No, I know we're going too far. (laughs) (laughs) The haul was worth more than 22,000 pounds. Not by the time they took it out of his ass, it wasn't. (laughs) I'd be going, keep the fucking gold. (laughs) The contraband was seized and the man fined 100,000 rupees, just over 1,000 pounds. Well, that sure wasn't much, was it, if you think about it? Only fined a grand, yeah. Yeah. The suspect was described as a courier for an organized smuggling ring. FedEx had got some fucking questions to answer. And he had a smuggling (laughs) ring. (laughs) (laughs) He did. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, you know, I've got to give you props for trying. I know, but can you imagine how good that probably felt when he was able to shit? Well, no, it probably didn't feel good. But, you know, you're trying to hold a kilo of stuff in your asshole. I mean, I'm not an expert or anything, but I think that would probably be really difficult. Can you imagine when you got it out and you took it to the jewellers and you said, could you melt this down, please? I I want a bracelet or whatever. You know, and they start melting it down and go, what the fuck is that smell? (laughs) Would it have set off the detectors going through the airport? I don't know, but... (laughs) Okay, so a self-proclaimed psychic who was paid $3.5 million, keep that in mind, $3.5 million by an elderly Massachusetts woman in exchange for claiming to cleanse her of demons, she must have had a fuckload of demons for $3.5 million, pleaded guilty on Thursday to trying to avoid paying taxes. Some psychic, she didn't know the IRS Mm, were coming after her. (laughs) Sally Ann Johnson, 41, for more than seven years provided what she described as healing services to a resident of the island of Martha's Vineyard who was more than 70 years old when she first met the spiritual healer, according to court papers. Johnson, who ran businesses including Psychic Match Incorporated and Flatiron Psychic, admitted in Boston Federal Court that she tried to impede the admission of tax laws 
She also told the court that she'd never passed the second grade, called herself a Romani spiritual consultant. She said in court that she'd not paid taxes in connection with the money she received as income as well as a gift. I honestly did not do the right thing, she said. Yeah, like she had to tell the court. Really, you didn't do the right thing? Oh, thanks for telling us our job. Yeah, we were wondering about whether you did the right thing or not. We only went to college, you know, and university for however many years. And we came to arrest you. Yeah, yeah. But we're glad that you, you know, you said that you didn't do the right thing. Appreciate that. Uh, Johnson, who resides in New York, Florida, Illinois, and at times Massachusetts, faced up to three years in prison. She's scheduled to be sentenced on January the 17th. Her lawyers declined to comment. Well, I'm not going to go on with the rest of it, but I think that as well as tax evasion, this woman ought to be looked into in terms of defrauding this woman. I mean, is there any way that she can prove that she cleansed this woman's soul or (laughs) cleansed her of demons for $3.5 million worth? Yeah, right. And it's an elderly woman. I mean, when she met her, it said here that she'd known her for more than seven years, and when she met her, she was 70. So the woman is 77 now. I'd be asking, is she... Is she accomplishmentist? Does she did yeah, she well, understand that she, she was paying three point five uh, million dollars? Of course it also could have been that she was she was the whistleblower. Uh, this woman scammed me. Yeah, yeah. I mean I don't know. Yeah, she used her services for seven years and now she's grasped her up and she's gonna get all the money back, maybe. Could be. All right. Next we have a German court has ordered a hungry donkey's owners to pay damages to the driver of a carrot-colored sports car after the animal (laughs) tried to eat it. Police said that Vitus, the donkey, may have mistaken the orange McLaren parked next to his enclosure as a giant carrot. He must have thought he won the freaking lottery. How big are the carrots he usually gets fed? (laughs) Vitus caused... Around 5,115 pounds worth of damage when he bit the back, damaging the paint, and a carbon fiber piece. So he bit the car in the ass, maybe? Yeah. Mm. The DPA news agency reported that the state court in Glesson sided with the car owner who filed the suit after the donkey's owner refused to reimburse him after the incident. So I'm sorry, like, the judge... Said, oh, yeah, yeah, he, he probably did think that was a carrot. To be honest, judges that deal with donkeys, especially that particular judge, he, all, he, all, he always says that. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, local media reported the owner of the donkey refused to pay for the damage, telling the McLaren owner he should have picked a better parking space for his 200000 pound car what so the parking lot wasn't a good enough parking space (laughs) you shouldn't have parked next to his food bowl (laughs) yeah exactly yeah that is nuts (laughs) no it's carrots i'm serious though like how could they even did they like hypnotize the donkey and say what did you see yeah how did the the how do they know the donkey thought it was a carrot yeah why didn't why wasn't the donkey (laughs) just looking at it going See that wanker pull up there in that car, thinks he's all that? <laughs> this is a no yeah. parking zone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, the donkey can't key down the side of the car, can it? All it can do is chew it, you know? <laughs> Such an ass. <laughs> oh. Okay, let's move on to something a little bit more serious now, but I think quite uplifting this. So after nine-year-old Becca Boo Salmins completed her two-and-a-half-year battle with acute lymphoblastic leukaemia, she enlisted the help of her hero father, 
who is a fellow cancer survivor himself, in helping to fulfil her dream of promoting awareness and raising funds for childhood cancer so other children wouldn't have to go through the pain that she did. Together, the cancer-slaying duo launched Knots and Arrows, a bracelet and retail company that donates a portion of its proceeds to help with the cost and expenses of treating childhood cancer survivors. They also give money to childhood cancer research charities. The two feel that it's their duty and privilege to pay it forward to those beginning this difficult battle, and they're ready to pay it forward together as survivors. Currently, Becca Boo and her dad are looking to get support so they can launch their company nationally in order to make it a bigger impact on childhood cancer. If you'd like to help their compassionate mission, you can visit their Kickstarter page. And just like all of the stories on here at the moment today, guys, we are going to be putting links in the show notes. So please, if you've got a couple of quid or a couple of dollars that you can put towards this, then please, please, please do, because this is fantastic. Father and daughter, both cancer survivors, both trying to help those that are going to be going through it. So excellent, excellent. Really cool. Yeah, really good story there of, of two people that have got over it because you hear so much on you in the news of people that that don't get over it you know yeah so it's nice to hear that there are people getting over it and kids are getting over it as well and then they're strong enough afterwards to want to help others so well, not only that it's a terrible disease anyway but i think for children it makes them grow up and yeah, still, yeah. like way before they need to that is just an awesome story and i believe we can also put a link where you can actually see a video. Next, we have a story from a boy named Ben Garo. Ben Garo could not contain his excitement when his fifth grade teacher gave an assignment for Natural Poetry Month. Typically, the 10-year-old boy isn't very talkative because of his Asperger's syndrome-induced anxiety, but when his homework was to write a poem with each sentence starting with I am... Ben didn't miss a beat. Before turning in the work at his Cumberland Head Elementary School in Plattsburgh, New York, he showed the finished product to his parents. They found it so breathtaking they couldn't help but get all choked up and later to share it with friends. I am odd, I am new. I wonder if you are too. I hear voices in the air. I see you don't and that's not fair. I want to not feel blue I am odd, I am new. I pretend that you are too. I feel like a boy in outer space. I touch the stars and feel out of place. I worry what others might think. I cry when people laugh. It makes me shrink. I am odd, I am new. I understand now that so are you. I say, I feel like a castaway. I dream of a day that that's okay. I try to fit in. I hope that someday I do. I am odd. I am new. That is amazing, isn't it? I used to work with kids in a charity that were kids that had been in care, kids that had been abused, you know, kids that have been through through a lot. I used to work with kids as well who had autism and uh, Asperger's. And it's very difficult. You can read all of the reports you want and all of the studies that come out about how they're feeling and all the rest of it, that, I think, gives the best insight in the world as to how these kids are feeling directly from the mouth of a child. Yeah, it's really good. Fifth grade. Now, this is from his father. 
At first, we felt sad and hurt that he feels isolated, alone, misunderstood, and odd at school, Ben's father said. As the poem went on, we realized that he understands that he's odd, and so is everyone else in their own way, which is what Ben wants everyone to embrace. Now, even though Ben was supposed to read his project to the class, his anxiety got the better of him, and he stayed home from school. His dad, however, posted a picture of the poem to Facebook in hopes that their friends would offer encouragement. Since the National Autism Association saw and reposted the poem, thousands of social media followers have expressed just how inspiring it really was. Ben's goal was to have people understand that being odd is different and different is amazing and people shouldn't be afraid of who they are. And that makes me one proud father. Yeah, because we're all odd in our own special way, aren't I'm we? I'm not odd. Well, you're, you're, you're the epitome <laughs> of odd. Yeah, well, takes one to know one, doesn't it? So I've got something also in, involving a child or an adolescent in this case. This is a story about a lad named Mason Brian Barkley. And his friend Houston Shelton was hosting a sleepover recently, which he wanted to attend. But unfortunately, her mum had made, like most parents do, a same-sex rule when it comes to sleepovers. So the teenager from Indiana decided to take matters into his own hands and sent a text directly to Houston's mum asking permission to attend. (laughs) This is his text that he sent to her. If she had people over on Friday, would I, a very homosexual male, be able to take part in the sleepover? He continued saying... I think the common meaning behind only allowing same sex to share sleepovers is due to the typical interest in the opposite sex, when in this case, I do not like the opposite sex. Thank you for your time and consideration. Have a great night. Amen. (laughs) In response, Houston's mum sent Mason, who was 19, a hilarious one-liner, which said, what do you reckon? I have no clue. She said, hmm... Well, my husband is hot. Should I worry? (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was brilliant. So it says that um, it was posted, obviously, and the um, response had more than 1,700 likes. Uh, And he later confirmed to the Huffington Post that he was allowed to go for the sleepover. That's so so funny. It's pretty cool, isn't it? (laughs) And he said, uh, we had a great time. We ordered pizza and watched my favourite show, The Simple Life. I'm a huge Paris Hilton and Nicole Ritchie fan. Definitely gay. (laughs) I'm American and y'all don't really have baseball over here, but... People may grieve in different ways, but Tom McDonald's way of paying tribute to his late friend is especially unique. McDonald's friend from childhood, Roy Regal, was a devoted baseball fan and an exceptionally talented plumber. He also passed away in April 2008. So as a means of honoring his best buddy, McDonald has spent the last nine years going to 13 different baseball stadiums across America with his friend's ashes in tow. Originally, the retired New York City Transit Authority worker had planned on sprinkling his buddy's remains on the fields, but he soon figured out that he wouldn't be allowed to leave ashes on a baseball green. So, instead of dirtying up the fields, McDonald started depositing his friend's ashes in a way that was only fit for a plumber, flushing them down the stadium toilet. What? (laughs) 
While the tribute may seem a little vulgar, McDonald figures that it's a more personal homage to his buddy and it's more permanent. It sounds like the final kick in the ass. <laughs> but wouldn't you hate to be the person <laughs> waiting in line to get to the toilet next and plunking your ass down if if you don't squat, but plunking your ass down knowing that a dead guy just went down the toilet. <laughs> That's... Oh, come on, well, that was no, pretty cool. Public toilets. I mean, if you can imagine a, a public toilet at a baseball stadium, I, I mean, I, it's not going to be clean, is it? No. I wouldn't want to be flushed down. And I know that <laughs> his mate was a plumber, so He's pipes plumber, and everything. Yeah. yeah, but I don't know. That doesn't sit nice with me. I All mean, right. fair play to him. I mean, he's done it for the last how many years? Nine years or 13 eight, years eight, or nine something? nine years. Huh? But still, you have to admit, the guy must have really cared about him. Oh or, yeah, definitely. You know, to to haul him to every game. They obviously and... don't. They obviously don't <laughs> search people, do they? Going into baseball games. I I know that when we went to that one, we weren't searched when we went in. No, I but, can just, but I... I'm just wondering what they think they're going to find on this guy when they find a little packet because he's obviously dividing it up into little packets, a little <laughs> packet of powder, you know. Or he's carrying then, the no, urine. Wait, <laughs> no, a little packet of powder that he's going to put down the toilet. Yeah, and then some wannabe security guard comes up and says, what's this, Coke? And and he does what they do on the films where he opens the little bag and he, and he tastes it on the end of his finger. Oh. That's disgusting. It is. But, I mean, fair play to him. He obviously, he obviously loved his mate. But. See, I'd rather picture it a bit different. He buys two seats, two tickets, and he brings his friend Ern and he plunks it down on the seat next to him and they watch the game. Hmm. But I suppose get off a lot of people going what's in there <laughs> yeah i think i would have just gently sprinkled a little bit uh, while i was sat in the seat so that it was in the stand <laughs> so that you could you could almost say that he would be watching these games forever uh, he's not going to get a very good view is he from the ocean or wherever he ends up <laughs> of this baseball game because all drains lead to the ocean yeah exactly i know because nemo's uh yeah dory told dory me so. told us mm-hmm. yeah okay i've got quite a cool one all right, so this is a prankster chef filmed a gullible co-worker counting all 2,552 floor tiles in the kitchen so they could get a quote for a new floor. <laughs> Connor Owens crafted the hilarious revenge prank after Ryan Smedley, 19, called in sick for a shift last month. Okay. He's learned his lesson now. I don't think he'll do that again. He is very gullible. We'll definitely be pranking him again in the future. I mean, they, <laughs> they even publicise that. We'll be pranking him again in the future. And the guy's obviously so gullible. Okay. <laughs> yeah. What you going to do? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll figure it out when you do it. <laughs> yeah. Or will he? So he said he was thinking about it all day, how he could get him back. And that was the first thing that came to mind. He's seen a lot of pranks being held in the kitchen, but he thought this one was an original idea. They all obviously couldn't stop laughing. Uh, there was three of them behind it, and they told him afterwards that it was pranked. I asked him how many got to, and he said he'd got to 2,552. But the funny thing was, <laughs> is that I haven't watched the video, but apparently, reading the whole story, it says on there that he went up to his boss and told him that there was 2,552, and his boss said, that doesn't sound right, you sure? And he said, do you want me to go check again? <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> But apparently on the video, you can see him on all fours looking under the 
looking under like the fridges and that, counting the tiles under there and everything, and under the oven. So <laughs> it's probably worth a look, guys, if you've got a couple of minutes to have a glance at that on YouTube. Uh, I the still link would is have kept walking notes. up to him and going, what was his name? What was his name? Ryan Smedley. Yeah, I'd have been going up to him when I knew he was really good into it and going, hey, Ryan, 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 Ryan. And he'd be like, what, 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 what? What number are you on? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Make him forget. Yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. Or going, Ryan, Ryan. And then just shouting a load of numbers at him, you know, just so that you lose your place. That's What's crazy. 340 minus? Blah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> My turn? Yep, you go for it. Okay. The patient has become the caregiver. In a true role reversal, a 24-year-old Georgia woman has started a job as a pediatric oncology nurse at the same hospital where she was treated twice for cancer as a child. It's only been two weeks since Montana Brown began working at the Aflac Cancer and Blood Disorder Center of Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, but that already the job is more than anything I could ask for, adding, it's so cool to just be at the place where I was treated and to have an influence over kids and to be an inspiration to them. After being diagnosed with cancer a second time, Montana Brown underwent chemotherapy again between 2008 and 2009. Brown was just two years old when she was diagnosed. She underwent chemotherapy for a year and went into remission for 13 years. But at the age of 15, she was diagnosed again with the same cancer and had to undergo chemotherapy for yet another year. It was particularly hard, recounted Brown, because her family recently moved and she was attending a new high school. She was also told that she had to stop competitive cheerleading, which was one of her passions. But during that difficult time, Brown said she remembered just how compassionate the nurses were at the Aflac Cancer Center. A few staffers were still there from when the teenager battled cancer as a toddler. Brown, who has been in remission since, decided shortly after her second treatment that she wanted to give back and give comfort in the same way the nurses did with her when she was in the hospital. Around 10th or 11th grade, I started thinking about what to major in. I knew I wanted to help people, and I knew that I wanted to use my story to help others and give them hope and inspiration. The more that I thought about it, I knew being a pediatric oncology nurse would be the greatest field for me. She received a degree in nursing from Augusta University last year. Caroline Rook, the hematology and oncology nurse manager at the Aflac Care Center, said that Brown's experience battling cancer makes her a special part of the team. After meeting Montana, knowing her story, and hearing her response to her own journey, we knew that she would be the next best addition to our team and would enhance the care experience that we can offer to our patients, said Rook. I love the fact that I can say, I know exactly what you've been through. I've been there, added Brown. I think it makes me and my patients form a better bond, and it helps me be more reliable to them and help them calm their nerves and ease their anxiety. Especially because they've got someone stood in front of them who survived it. And then became, not, you know, a lot of kids see doctors and nurses as, like... Unachievable. Really cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's, I can remember being a kid and having to go to the emergency room because I'd cut my, cut my finger really badly. And I was screaming. I was having a fit, right? And this doctor comes... And it's a male doctor, and he, they had me sort of restrained on the bed and everything because I was just wow. going nuts, right? So he said to me, well, 
Would it make you feel any better if you have a female doctor or a woman doctor? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm crying, right? So a little bit of time goes by and then this woman comes, right? And she's, she's all, oh, I'm doctor, whatever her name was. And I started freaking out again. No, 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 I don't want you to do it. I want the man to come back because he's probably been doing it longer than you. He knows more. Oh, no. <laughs> you can't say that these days. <laughs> I know, I know. And and it's terrible to say because, you know, but I mean. As a kid, you just say it without a filter, don't you? You just. Yeah, it was so funny. And then I remember, I remember like I come out, my thumb's all, it was my thumb. And I've got this big, huge bandage and. And uh, I, I remember running out to where my mom and dad were sitting, and I go, Daddy, Daddy, look, I have the biggest thumb in the world, and I'm <laughs> waving it around or whatever. And I get to him, and I said, and guess what? The doctors were pinching my butt. What? <laughs> yeah. My dad was freaking out, right? But... um. I believe that he asked, you know, what was going on. I don't know why they were doing it, but I'm sure they had a medical reason to be pinching it. That's all I remember. I just... Well, they were probably trying to take your mind off of what they were doing on your thumb by pinching it. I don't know. But you couldn't get away with that these days. (laughs) That reminds me of a story, which my dad is probably going to kill me for putting this on the (laughs) podcast, but my dad was a police officer, and... In the neighbourhood where we lived, everyone knew that he was, the, you know, a police officer and he was quite a senior police officer at the time as well. And my brother, who will also hate me for saying this, <laughs> when he went to nursery, one of the questions they asked at nursery was, what newspapers do your parents read? What newspapers or magazines? And they were discussing it. So my brother was only maybe four, something like that. And he said, my dad reads magazines with naked ladies in. <laughs> And obviously that went down a treat in, in, in the classroom, you know, amongst all of these other kids. And what it turned out was that my brother, Alex, his name is, he had seen my parents who were planning a holiday, looking at holiday brochures. And in those yeah, holiday brochures, I'm sure. no, I'm serious, in those holiday brochures <laughs> were these women wearing bikinis and that. And he'd seen that. And, well, look, you can imagine that my dad, I don't think, ever dropped my brother off at a nursery again. My mother was taking him back and forth, but it was, yeah, that could have that could have turned really nasty, that. And that's his story, and he's sticking to it, And he's to sticking it, right? to it. No. Anyone who knows my dad knows that he's the straight as a die. So he's, uh, yeah, pretty cool. Anyway, yes, so how did we get onto naked women in... I don't know. Oh, we were talking about your thumb, were we? That sounds wrong, just saying. <laughs> what, your thumb and naked women? Yes. Yeah, let's move on. Okay, so this is something that's quite interesting, and this actually happened in your hometown. So it says here, a hazardous materials response team was called to Christo Ray Jesuit School in Baltimore, Maryland, after two students and three adults were taken to hospital with upset stomachs. Several people also reported difficulty in breathing. Firefighters sourced the offending stench to a classroom on the third floor and specifically to a pumpkin-spiced plug-in air freshener. Really? Yeah. (laughs) 
Fire <laughs> spokesman Roman Clark confirmed that five people had been taken to hospital for stomach ailments. And I know it's not really a, a happy, jovial story and, you know, maybe doesn't belong in this section, but I just figured that it, was, it falls under the weird sort of category here because five people being sent to hospital because of a plug-in... Now, you, you're one for buying these plug-in air fresheners. And they're so flipping... And you can't stand no, them. No, I'd rather smell my own farts than some of those things you bring home. <laughs> you obviously have not smelled your own farts. <laughs> roses? Not. <laughs> no. But you know little, to be honest you know with you... You little Cadbury roses candies mm-hmm. that could cause some of those. You know why no. my farts <laughs> smell so bad, don't you? Because you freaking... St- Think. No, <laughs> because I've got almost a kilo of gold up my ass. <laughs> oh, <bend> over. <laughs> oh, now you're interested. <laughs> I'll have some of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I got soap and water. I can wash my hands. It <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> takes the um, takes the phrase mining for gold to a totally different extreme, doesn't it? Oh my god, that's disgusting. Disgusting. It's been five months since Marlene Brooks received the letter that changed her life. And since reading that letter, she has changed dozens of other lives for the better. Brooks, who lives in Park Hills, Missouri, found a letter in her mailbox from down the street back in April. The letter said, Mrs. Would you consider being my friend? I'm 90 years old, live alone, and all my friends have passed away. I am so lonesome and scared. Please, I pray for someone. Oh, bless her. The letter had been sent by Wanda Mills, an elderly woman who lived two houses down from 37-year-old Brooks. Upon reading the heart-wrenching note, Brooks paid a visit to the 90-year-old neighbor, and she now visits Mills four times a week. Four times a week, that's pretty good. The result is now a life-changing friendship. Even though Mills now lives in a nursing home, Brooks stops by for daily visits with her kids and husband for extra company. Oh, cool. Isn't that neat? Brooks' relationship with Mills has also spurred her to start Pen Pals for Seniors, an organization dedicated to ending the isolation of lonely elders by pairing them with pen pals. Oh, that's cool. I think that's pretty neat. No, that is cool. Yeah. That is cool. And that woman is now in a residential home so she's got loads of people around her now so that's really cool yeah definitely okay from uh elderly lonely women to dildos there's no connection there whatsoever (laughs) that's nice yes i'm happy about that because that just gives me a mental image i don't want to think about (laughs) so it says here an unsuspecting mum emptying the family dishwasher got the shock of her life when she stumbled across a rather phallic looking object jumping to conclusions she thought the unusual item was a sex toy that her daughter had popped in the dishwasher for a deep clean oh my god (laughs) but the object in question actually turned out to be a melted cup you know those drinks that you know those cups that you can get those long you you tend to see people take them to the gym they're like clear things with a screw top on and they've Uh, got like a locking thing where you can i so thought you were gonna say you know the big long dildos and i was gonna be like no No. i know nothing (laughs) (laughs) well this this girl had obviously had one of these like training cups that you can buy it was pink with a purple lid well, the purple lid was in a different part of the dishwasher. You've got oh to see. You've got to look gosh. at this. You've got to look at this article, guys, because it is just. It's made. It Let me really see. does look. No, the picture's not on there. Oh dang it! The um, you're getting interested in this a bit oh. too much, aren't you? <laughs> so the cup itself 
was obviously long and pink originally, and the heat of the dishwasher had made this thing melt into a perfect-looking dildo. <laughs> I mean, it is really, really cool the way it's done. So um, I have a question. What? Why do they always make dildos in strange freaking... Co- well, uh, uh, so I hear <clears throat> they make dildos in really strange colours. They're like pink and blue. and I mean, what what is that? Like a Smurf thing? You, <laughs> you know, why, do they, why can't they just make them flesh-toned if they have to make them colour? I remember an old woman, and, and this this bears on the same sort of thing, but an old woman who lived down the street from me. If you I tell me to, that she showed you her dildo, no, 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 I'm going to... No, 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 just check this out, right? <laughs> an old woman who lived down the road from me, I used to pop in every so often and help her like, cut the grass and stuff like that. And it was coming up to her birthday, and I asked her what she wanted for her birthday. I was probably about maybe 22, 23 at the time. So I asked her what she wanted for her birthday, and she said that she'd never had a sex toy and she would really like a sex toy, right? Mm-hmm. So I took her into town. There was a place called The Private Shop in Newport. I took her in there, and there was everything. Big ones, small ones, fat ones, thin ones. Things. Are with tic- you... Is this I'm telling, you, I'm telling you, things with ticklers on it, little nobblers, vibrating ones, non-vibrating ones. And I said to her, which one do you want? Let's just, <laughs> just pick one and let's get out of here. And she said, I want that red one over there. And I said, oh, do me a favour. It's a fucking fire extinguisher. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you suck. <laughs> yeah. No, anyway, so yeah. Obviously, oh, obviously, you, there wasn't really an old lady. Don't worry, but there we go. <laughs> um, so anyway, this this girl was so shocked. She ended up, of course, as kids do, Snapchatting it. <laughs> so she Snapchat a picture of the dildo looking cup thing right and said and this is what she wrote so mum finds this in the dishwasher gives it to me wrapped in a towel asking what the fuck i put in the dishwasher for (laughs) (laughs) and then she explains afterwards it was a cup it shrank (laughs) and then she went on sort of explaining how she felt uncomfortable all day but um if only a mum had found the lid is all i can say (laughs) i mean this dildo did have a screw top on the end whether she thought that's where the batteries went i don't know (laughs) So you've got to have a look at that link, guys. Uh, you'll see why your mum jumped to the conclusion she did. <laughs> that is so funny. That That's probably the funny of the day. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to be all serious again now. When a Florida woman was evicted from the house she had lived in for decades, neighbors rallied to help, including one who gave her the ultimate gift. She bought back the house. Angie Timer moved back into her longtime home in Hudson, Florida last Tuesday, which happened to be her 89th birthday, after three weeks of staying at a Days Inn hotel. She said that losing the house was a scary time, but she was glad to be home. I went through hell and back, she said. I've lived in this house for 35 years. Timer was evicted last month after learning the person that she'd sold the house to several years earlier, who lives in Europe, had stopped paying the mortgage and the house went into foreclosure. Despite a warning, Taima, whose husband died nearly 20 years ago, didn't think she would be tossed onto the streets. They threw me out, she said. I couldn't believe it. Once the neighborhood saw Taima's belongings being taken out of the house, they jumped to help, but it was Danielle Calder, who lives a few houses away, who made the decision to buy back the house. 
She contacted the company that had purchased it at auction and bought it back for $167,500. Now she's Tyma's new landlord. Quite honestly, I didn't need another house, but I needed her. I couldn't see her living in a motel room. She's been here so long. Everyone looks out for her. I did this out of the goodness of my heart, not to make money or for any other reason except that I love Angie, Danielle said. Calder, who splits her time between Massachusetts and Florida, described Tyma as the fabric of the neighborhood. Hudson is on Florida's west coast, about an hour north of Tampa. Everyone knows Angie, she said. She has two little dogs that she walks. She's an elderly woman, but she's pretty feisty, and she has lots of energy. Tyma, who now pays rent to Calder, although they declined to disclose the amount, said returning home was her best birthday present yet. Usually, one of my neighbors bakes me a cake every year, but this time, when I got out of the car and saw all these people in the media, I was in a state of shock. I was speechless. I couldn't oh, even talk. Bless her. Hmm. I wonder um, why they did that thing. Move the bus! <laughs> now, time is in the process of making our house a home again. I'm unpacking all the boxes. I had lots of stuff that was broken, she said, and I'm cleaning. She added that she's grateful for Calder whom she called a very good friend and a good neighbor. As for Calder, she just wanted to help. It was the right thing to do, she said. We're family, the whole neighborhood. And that nice. I think that's the takeaway from that, isn't it? Neighborhoods being families again. I remember when I was a kid, you used to have street parties. Block like, cookouts and stuff. Yeah, well, what, we used to have a... I, I remember we had a street party for the Silver Jubilee, and, and I can just remember all the neighbours out. Everyone got involved. There was tables on the... On, the road was closed, and there was tables all the way down this cul-de-sac, and, and every, every household brought some food to the table, you know, and then everybody just... That's cool. Dug in. It was absolutely brilliant. What a really good sort of neighbourhood building yeah. sort of thing to go on. Everybody knew everyone else's neighbours back then. I couldn't tell you the name of half of the people that live along our street because no. it's just not done these days. So that's, that's really nice, that. But the Queen, she didn't get invited. No, of course not. She was busy. It was, a, it was the Jubilee. Mm. Did she send the RSVP? No, did she, yeah. Well, now we're going to move on to something that I found online that I thought was very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really ingenious idea. People hear it all the time. Have a good day. Usually it goes in one ear and out the other without connecting. And meaning well, we automatically sign our personal letters or emails. Love. Nice to say. Nice to hear. But how often have you said to somebody, you matter? Or, how often has someone said those words to you? It started two years ago when a colleague gave me a business-sized card with only the words, You Matter. I'll never forget the feeling of warmth that radiated through me when she looked at me as she placed the card in my hand. I felt seen. Deeply seen. The feeling stayed with me long enough that I decided to order my own supply of You Matter cards and then started sharing them with family and friends. As I became bolder, I began giving the You Matter cards to people in my community who made my life richer, like my dry cleaner and the man who sells me fruit at the farmer's market. Then, weeks later, a specific encounter at a grocery store touched me to my core. I was standing in the checkout line behind a woman who looked to be in her 60s. 
When the cashier asked her how she was doing, the woman said, Not so good. My husband just lost his job, and my son is up to his old tricks again. The truth is, I don't know how I'm going to get through the holidays. Then she gave the cashier food stamps. My heart ached. I wanted to help, but didn't know how. Should I offer to pay for her groceries, ask her for her husband's resume? I did nothing, and the woman left the store. As I walked into the parking lot, I spotted the woman returning her shopping cart, and I remembered something in my purse that might help her. My heart pounded as I approached the woman. Excuse me, I overheard what you said to the cashier. It sounds like you're going through a really hard time. I'd like to give you something. And I handed her a You Matter card. Hmm. When the woman read the card, she began to cry, and through her tears, she said, You have no idea how much this means to me. I hadn't anticipated the reaction. Oh my, I said, may I give you a hug? After we embraced, I walked back to my car and cried. I decided to create a You Matter marathon. I hoped I could find 333 people to willingly share one You Matter card a day during the month. Unsure what I was getting into, but letting my passion guide me, I decided to mail 30 cards free to each person who signed on. That would make it easy for them to participate, and it would also give each person the experience of receiving a UMatter card before giving them out. Once the website was live, I started spreading the word inviting people to sign up. Some friends, and certainly the marketing people I consulted, suggested I add the UMatter Marathon website to the back of the card to get more people engaged, but I steadfastly refused. My gut told me that adding anything other than the words you matter would turn the card into a promotional item at the very opposite of its intent. I'm glad I held firm. Almost every time I give out a you matter card, the person immediately turns the card over to see what the catch is. When they realize there is no catch, they lower their hunched shoulders and breathe in the message, you matter. Not because of what you do, who you know, how big your bank account or your to-do list is, but just because you exist. A simple message with a profound impact. Thankfully, with the reach of Facebook and help spreading the word from some wonderful online communities, it didn't take long for people to start signing up for the marathon. And by the end of November, we had far exceeded my goal of sharing 10,000 cards. Nearly half a million cards were handed out by over 14,000 people in all 50 states, 59 countries from Canada to Australia. And, as impressive as those numbers are, no numbers can do justice to the true impact of even one card share. Why? So, can I just ask a quick question? The marathon, it's a marathon in the numbers of cards you can give out rather than a running marathon. Right, okay. Yeah, you don't have to do anything except get the cards. Just give the card to someone. Clearly, the message had touched people. It also confirmed my suspicion. Telling others they matter, matters. Not just for the one holding the card, but also for the one who has just given it away. Just last week, while waiting in the checkout line, I noticed the young woman at the register. She had short, spiky, lime green hair, a nose ring, and funky purple glasses. Her look was the opposite of my traditional suburban yoga pants style, but what stood out most was her radiant smile and the deliberate way she looked at customers as she rang up their purchases. When we completed our transaction... I pulled out a You Matter card from my pocket, handed it to her, and said, Thank you, this is for you. 
When she read the two words on the card, her lower lip quivered and her eyes moistened. She placed the hand with the card over her heart and placed her other hand over her mouth, which opened wide with surprise. She didn't say a word. Since many customers were waiting in line, all I could say was, it's true, you know, what the card says is true. The reaction of the young woman at the cash register so moved me, I returned to the store the next day to ask what she felt when she received the card. She said she'd been having a really bad time, and the card touched her deeply. She said her hand shook for an hour, and when she got home, she cried it out. She asked if I had an extra card so she could offer it to a co-worker who gave her food when she ran low at the end of the month. Once again, I was moved to tears. Dozens of people who participated in the marathon last year tell me, in different words, that they feel the same way. A woman wrote to tell me she gave a You Matter card to her son who she'd been estranged from. When I gave it to him, he fought to hold back tears. He simply held it and looked at it for about a minute. I sensed that he finally believes that he does matter in my life and is loved. We were finally able to have a meaningful conversation. Now we're working on our relationship together. One participant shared this story. A friend at the gym became ill. He was going downhill quickly. Last time I saw him, he looked like a wounded, fading ghost. I put a You Matter card under his windshield wiper. Two days later, he died. But I hope he died knowing that he mattered. Today, when I went to the gym, I parked in the space where he used to park. I stayed there for 30 minutes thinking of him, thinking of life, thinking of how he might have felt when he saw the card. Yet another participant wrote, I'm finding it goes beyond the cards, which is no surprise. A customer service rep called to apologize for not returning my call sooner. They had no further information available for an issue I'm having. I thanked the woman on the phone for the call and said, You matter as part of my goodbye. It started a whole new conversation about leadership. We spoke for another 20 minutes. At the end of the call, she said, Mr. Brown, you matter. You really do. It was extraordinary. Reflecting on the call, it is so obvious how easy it is to build bridges. The 94-year-old hospice patient I visited this afternoon was just waking up from a nap. Because of her Alzheimer's, our conversations are typically a bit upside down and inside out. As I was leaving, I gave her a You Matter card. Can you read that, I asked. She squinted. Something matters? Yes, you, I said. Her smile was so warm and genuine that I knew we had connected. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, and I think maybe it's true, like, people don't know enough. I don't think they hear enough how much they matter. Yeah. So There's a lot of people that get pressure or feel pressure because when you look at Facebook, you're only seeing the things on Facebook or Instagram that people want to show the world. Yeah. You're not seeing all of the strives they're going through. What happens when they walk away from the keyboard. Exactly. And what happens when they turn the camera away from them. You know, you don't see all of that stuff. So you get a you get a view of somebody or a view of somebody's life, which is a perfect snapshot, but nobody's life is perfect. So everybody has these feelings, I think, of insecurity. And I think probably the people that are posting more the perfect shots of themselves and everything are probably the people with more insecurities because they're trying to give that persona out online. So, yeah, I think that's absolutely beautiful. And the thing that I like about this woman doing that You Matter... Her name is Cheryl Rice. What I like about her is she's not... or doesn't seem to be doing it for profit or anything like that. This was purely driven 
by the want to make someone else feel a little bit better about themselves or their day. And I'd like to just say to our listeners, there will be a link in our notes where you can go and see Cheryl Rice's page. She has some videos on YouTube about it. And there is a place where you can fill out information to get your own cards if you want to participate in the marathon. Yeah, do it, guys. Sign up for the marathon. Make someone else feel a little bit better about themselves. I think that's about all we have. There is, but there's something else that I want to do. Have you got your phone with you? I do, but it's on silent. Well, that makes a freaking change, doesn't it? Yeah. Grab it a sec. Okay, so... You got your phone there. Excellent. Thank you very much. So when we were doing our research and I was looking for sort of funny stories and all that sort of stuff, I came across some funny things that you can ask Siri. Mm-hmm. And I know that we've done a couple of these in the past, but there's a couple here that I haven't done before and I think you might find quite interesting. Okay, so so I'm not the guinea pig really, Siri is, right? Siri is. Let's, yeah, see, if, okay. let's see if Siri performs for, for the masses now. Okay. Oh, look, you got her all under pressure now, poor yeah. thing. I'm going to give you the first thing to ask her, okay? So mm-hmm. take the one at the top of the list mm-hmm. there. Hey, Siri, beatbox for me. Here's what I've been practicing boots and cats and boots and cats and boots and cats and boots and cats and boots. I could do this all day. Cats and boots and 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 cats. Okay. Well, that was. uh, She doesn't want to give up a day job on that, does she? Why are fire trucks red? Here's some information. So I have to read this. Apparently, she's not going to cooperate. She's going mute. It says. Because they have eight wheels and four people on them, and four plus eight is 12, and they're 12 inches and a foot, and one foot is a ruler, and Queen Elizabeth was a ruler, and Queen Elizabeth was also a ship, and the ship sailed the seas. And in the seas are fish, and fish have fins, and the fins fought the Russians, and the Russians are red, and fire trucks are always rushing around. So there you go. If ever anyone asks you why... Fire trucks are red. You can just give them that little short sentence of information as to why. <laughs> yeah. The world according to Siri. Yeah, okay. Go for the next one then. Siri, open the pod bay doors. Okay, but I'm not signing any petitions. What? <laughs> <laughs> Ask her it again. She'll change her mind now. Siri, open the pod bay doors. It's already open. Getting a little cold in here. <laughs> <laughs> I asked her that earlier and she said, okay, as long as you wipe your feet. <laughs> okay, try that one. Give me a kiss. Let's just talk, Bella. <laughs> My own phone does not even want to make out with me. Reject <laughs> I it. I know, tell me about it. <laughs> and, and how much do you pay for that phone? It's terrible, isn't it? You could have got a prostitute for a lot cheaper. <laughs> That's rude. Shame on you. Shame on you. What is Inception about? Inception is about dreaming about dreaming about dreaming about dreaming about something or other. I fell asleep. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Last one now. Can you dance? Every time your iPhone vibrates, that's me doing the jitterbug. (laughs) (laughs) Ask it. Where can you hide a body? Siri, where can you hide a body? What? Again? (gasps) Oh! (laughs) 
See? <laughs> Why have you I not been telling me? See, I said I watched those channels for a reason. Jeez, that's <laughs> spooked me out a little bit. That has. When did you ask her that? <laughs> Bye, Siri. Oh, that's a bit curt, wasn't it? Isn't it? Tell, sure. t- say, say, I love you. Just you got, you always, you got, just always got to say, I love you when you say goodbye. Hey Siri, I love you. I value you. I value you. <laughs> <laughs> you wait till next time you tell me you love me. I'm gonna say. But I love you. All you need is love and your iPhone. <laughs> There's a plug for you. <laughs> anyway, are we done now? We are done now. Okay. Guess what, everybody? What? You all matter. You all do matter. We thank you very much for listening to our dulcet tones constantly. And just for being. Yeah, just just because you're all special. Bye! (laughs) (laughs) See you guys. See you next week.